Whelan Presley and Van Hall Funeral Homes have been serving Quad City families and veterans for over 100 years. Whelan Presley is located in Rock Island, Milan, Reynolds, and Van Hall in East Moline, proudly supporting WQPT. Alternatives is a proud supporter of WQPT and has been serving our community for 40 years. Alternatives provides professional guidance to maintain independence and quality of life for older adults and adults with disabilities. This month, new leadership for thousands of Catholics as an Iowa boy becomes an archbishop. We talk with the most reverend Thomas Zinkula on The Cities. On October 18th, the head of the Catholic Church in Davenport will become the 11th Archbishop of the Dubuque Catholic Diocese. Thomas Robert Zinkula will lead 183,000 Catholics in eastern Iowa, an area that has a very special meaning to him. He was born in Mount Vernon near Cedar Rapids, ordained a priest in Dubuque, appointed bishop in Davenport, and now just days away from being installed Archbishop where his service to the church first started, Dubuque. The Most Reverend Thomas Zinkula sat down with us to talk about the church, his humble beginnings, and his charge for the future. I don't know what to say. Do you say congratulations? Um, uh, but I got to say congratulations. I mean, becoming Archbishop is something, is that a dream of yours? I can't say that I've ever considered that. Um, no, I mean, in terms of what to say, people, a lot of people say congratulations. And it's fine. It's good, you know. They, the Pope thought highly enough of me that I, he thought I could do this job. And so, so congrats, but it's sort of a, more of a secular kind of return in terms of, um, you know, people say, oh, you deserve this and, you know, and, um, you know, kind of climbing the ladder sort of a feel to it. Right. It, so people don't say, but so that's the best, and that's fine. Uh, um, so people say that a lot. And um, some who are more cynical our sarcasticals offer their sympathy and <laughs> condolences. Because let's be honest, it's, it's yeah. administrative. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a harder um, role. But, and then, but then, no, the, the, the right answer, actually, or the right response to mm -hmm. that is to say, thank you for saying yes to the church. <laughs> no, seriously, thank you for saying yes. Um, you know, here's the Holy Spirit, hopefully, working through this whole process and the Pope, Pope ultimately. And, and um, you know, and, and asks uh, you know me to do this thing, and uh, and, I, and so my my motto as a bishop is, "Thy will be done, or your will be done," from the Lord's Prayer, because um, that's I've always tried to discern God's will. Sometimes I don't succeed, and sometimes I don't say yes, but that's what I try to strive for to say yes to uh, to to, um, to God, and so God working through all this whole process, and. So yeah, so thank thank you for saying yes. That that really nails it. But we were talking about your ascension to being archbishop. It's not a job you apply for. You didn't send in a resume. You didn't no. have an interview. Your interview is every single day that you've worked. Yeah, people. I I kind of feel bad about that. Actually, I run into people here in the Quad Cities, and and they're um, they're thinking that way that I applied for this position, and I like. You know, I'm tired of this church here. I'm going to go someplace else or whatever. 
climb up the ladder. I didn't even know they were looking at me. And, and I didn't know that before when I, when I was asked to come here. You just get a call um, out of the blue from the Apostolic Nuncio, who's kind of like, kind of like the, the ambassador for the Pope. And, and so there's one in every country and, and, and his office, the Nunciature is, is located in Washington, DC. So he's the point person on surfacing um, priests who might be good bishops and, and then also um, bishops moving on to another diocese. So he's the one that does all, surfaces names and there's a whole process for that. And he does his investigation. He sends out questionnaires to all kinds of people. It's all secret. There's the pontifical secret. And so you don't even know what's going on and then, until you get a call. And you know. So it's just as jaw-dropping to you as it would be to anybody else. Not yeah. that you're not qualified, I'm not trying to say that, yeah. but just the surprise of that phone call would be like a lightning bolt out of the blue. Definitely, so this time around, I was actually in Vietnam when he called. And um, it's a long story, it was a pastoral kind of uh, work-related, but I was there. and. I hadn't, I'd been paying attention to my, to my email and my um, text messages just to stay on top of things, but not to voicemail. I, I just hadn't thought about it. So I'd been there five days and, and then I, uh, one, one morning or the morning I looked and oh my God, the Nuncio has called me a couple times. <laughs> Fortunately, it wasn't too far yeah. in, in advance of that. But, Can't um, believe you're ignoring him. Yeah, I know exactly, <laughs> two times. So I called him and, and he understood, you know, I understood that then, you know, Pope would like you to become be the Archbishop of Dubuque, and and they want an answer. Like, boom. <laughs> so, how long did it take you to say yes? Well, um, I I said yes right away. The first time, I you know when I got the call to come here, I was asked if I could have a little time, you know, mm -hmm. just to think about it, and just I mean, you know, <laughs> and talk to the Archbishop and talk to my spiritual um, director and. And okay, that's fine. Um, I was thinking a couple of days, but okay, I, this is in the evening. And how about tomorrow? You know, about you know, middle of the day. Like, sure, yeah, like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then, and then, the, the, then it ended with him saying he's he's French, Christophe Pierre, so this French accent. You know, but but are you thinking about saying yes? Are you thinking about saying yes? Give me some indication. I, mean, I was going to say yes all yeah. along, but yeah, that's how it works. You're an Iowa farm boy. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, born in Mount Vernon, um, just uh, a little uh, south uh, east of, uh, of Cedar Rapids. Um, you went to uh, Cornell, did you not? Yes. And then you went into law at the University of Iowa you studied. Tell me about right. those roots of yours because, let me get this right, you are one of nine children. Right. Five girls and four boys. Yeah, you were outnumbered. So, yeah. so tell me about this 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 uh, upbringing that you had in in Mount Vernon, a beautiful community. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always and I uh, people ask me about who are you, whatever, and I always start out if I'm a farm kid because that's that was the foundation for me. You know, growing up on a farm, family farm. My dad and uncle farmed together. It was a century farm like in the 1980s, my great grandparents bought the first plot of land and they expanded from there. So a lot of rootedness and um, I don't know, I, and then my parents were very active in the local church. First, first there, was a, there was a little church, there was a little church, St. Peter and Paul out in the country, a little Czech parish. My um, mm -hmm. great, great grandparents came over from Bohemia in the 
1850s to Iowa City, right? And so, um, and then and my grandparents bought this land and grandparents, my dad and uncle farmed together. And um, so, you know, that was my life. My, my parents weren't able to go to college. I don't know if my dad would have necessarily, he was into farming a lot, but my mother, she's a valedictorian of her class and she would have liked to have gone to college, oh. but he wasn't able to. So that became our family dream. And I mean, all of us accepted it and, and uh, we're all gonna go to college. We, nobody fought it. Um, we worked in the summers and we weren't playing sports and extracurricular things to, to, to make money, put it away, because we had to all pay our own way. And so, um, yeah, in terms of the Quad Cities, two of my siblings, a brother and sister, went to, 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 um, to Ambrose, and two went to Augustana, by the way. So, <laughs> well, interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, it is well, interesting. Yeah. So, so, my dream was to go to college. So, I you know, went to, to Cornell and I studied math. Math came easily to me, and most of my brothers and sisters, so I might as well study that. And I also economics and business. And so, then, second semester, senior year, you know, that I, I was, was going to accomplish my dream, our family dream, and so I didn't have anything beyond that. And so, what do you do with the math guy? I didn't see myself teaching. Um, I, had, I had an internship my second semester, senior year at Life Investors, which became Agon, which became Transamerica, which became whatever something else in Cedar Rapids, and as in actuarial sciences, in the actuary department, and I and it was good, and I went there. And, um, worked for a year and then it's, it was all fine, but I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think this is for me. And I, 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 and I always had interest in the law. I was kind of tired of school after college, um, but then school wasn't that bad really. <laughs> you know, that's a good life. And so I went, I, so I went to law school and it was all good. I um, wrote for the Law Review. I was on the, an editor for the Law Review. That was my kind of extracurricular there. Tell me a little bit about um, that epiphany that, that gets you into the priesthood and you decide that this is where your life will be spent. Well, I have a big, huge, long story, but we don't have time for that. <laughs> Everybody's story is different. I mean, priests love it when, they, when people ask them their, their vocation story because it's very personal, very intimate, and, and it's all very different. For me, I don't know, there's a seed planted when I was um, in high school, my senior year, and I, you know, you know, uh, um, and then, but I was a shy, quiet kid. I couldn't see myself in this public role. And, and the pastors were, were older, you know, and I like, you know, I couldn't, and they were probably younger than I am now, but they seem old. Actually. Right, exactly, <laughs> you know? yeah. So, um, so, but the seed was planted. I didn't do anything with that. The seed was planted though. And then I didn't think about it at all until uh, I was 28 years old practicing law and, I'd been praying for a couple of years that there's something that God wanted me to do, trying to discern what that was on the side of service to others. I knew it was that, but um, I didn't, you know, I was doing different things, you know, besides practicing law on the side and stuff. And then for me, um, one night in October of 1985, I, I was living in an apartment. I woke up in the middle of the night with this powerful experience of the Holy Spirit and, this, and, a, and a calling to the priesthood. So again, out of the blue, like those calls out of the blue about being a bishop, it was really powerful and my heart was on fire and that's ultimately, I followed up on that after I prayed about it and started going to daily mass and for a couple months and then I finally acted on it and ended up in the seminary then the next year. 
in Washington, D.C. Then you end up in Dubuque. Yeah. Um, and, and I want to get you to the Quad Cities now. Yeah. Uh, for the last uh, six years, you've been uh, Bishop of, of Davenport. What has that experience been like? It's been great. When I came here, I, it, you know, it was all brand new, and I needed to figure this thing out. And I, and I said to the people when I was ordained and bishop and installed, you know, um, I need you to teach me how to be a bishop because I don't know how to do this. So you need to teach me. And, and um, I remember at the chantry, early on, people were, uh, you know, I was, we were talking about different things, and people would say, whatever you want, Bishop, whatever you want, you know? And after a while of that, of that I said, you guys, you know, stop saying that, because <laughs> I, I don't have it all figured out. You, you know, don't just play up to me. Tell me, you know, tell me what you think. And if I'm going to do something stupid, <laughs> say, that is not, the, that's, right. I don't think it's a good move. So let's figure this thing out together and let's collaborate. And so I just kind of tried to, um, tried to find my way and, you know, you gain confidence and, and then, okay, we, we seem to, we decide to move in a different direction. I try to be collaborative and, and to listen to people and to walk together. And um, so we've just kind of, something comes up and well let's let's address that here's this need you know so I, I early on what i i the first year even i'm like evangelization has to be the number one thing for me so i said that this is the, as long as i'm here that's going to be my top priority in terms of you know we're becoming increasingly secular culture society um, people drifting away from institutional religion including lots you know including lots of young people as well right and so to just see that and not do something about that, um, I mean, that's our mission anyway, is to go out to all the world and tell the good news and, you know, and, um, and, and, and you know, make disciples of all nations. That should be what we're doing anyway. But in, in, this is a really different, like Pope Francis said, this is not just a, 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 um, an, an, an era of change, but it's a change of eras. This is a really significant time we're in, I think, right now. And so just name that, and we've been working on that really hard in my time here. Let's talk about some of the issues that are facing the Catholic Church. And one of them, as you pointed out, is population. Um, when you take a look at uh, the churches, uh, particularly for, for Dubuque, very rural area, you have 165 parishes, 68 have resident pastors, but 94 do not. Is that a concern of yours? And, and how does one reverse that? Well, in terms of reversing it, I don't know, you know, the demographics are against us. You know, in the Midwest, people become we're, we're older population, young people go to college and go get jobs elsewhere. Rural areas used to be these smaller farms, big families. Now they're bigger farms, smaller families. So, um, you know, I mean, there's, it's how do you change that exactly? Mm -hmm. but, but we need to recognize it. Um, yeah, Dubuque. I mean, <laughs> there were, that's a lot of parishes that already. Um, Archbishop Hannes, uh, you know, so the, the priest that retired was Archbishop, Archbishop Jacobs. Before him was Archbishop, Archbishop Hannes, and he closed, I think, sixty churches. Very 60 painful churches. period in the very, church. Very, very painful. Really hard. So, what do you do? I mean. Um, Dubuque has been working on that for 
um, a long, long time. And they've been doing things like clustering or families of parishes. Right. I mean, they have, in Dubuque, they call them six packs. They have, they have a couple of six packs, six parishes, six churches that one guy, one priest um, oversees, right? That's, and, and if you started fresh, uh, you know, you just have one church there, mm-hmm. but there you are. So, so you know. Um, that has I, an impact, though, on all of those parishes with that split time. Sure, yeah. Like three of them have mass one weekend and three the other weekend. and, and they. But there's, there can be really good things that come out of it, you, you know. So you, you collaborate and you, you share staff. You know, maybe you can only have like a part-time person here or a volunteer there while come together sharing resources and you can maybe have a full-time person, you know, and sharing programs and that's what I've been encouraging. I mean, before we break down into individual parishes, which is where your, you know, your average person experience their, their faith and live out their faith as Catholics, but, but before that we're a universal church and we kind of lose sight of that sometimes. So there's, there's things we can do to address the situation. You talk about the church, but also the Catholic education um, had also been, you know, the number of students you, you, schools have had to close. Um, that has been in a decline. But things are changing this particular year yeah. with the state of Iowa and the uh, voucher program. How has the impact been so far as far as Catholic education is in eastern Iowa? Yeah, so, I mean, it's all brand new. I don't know about Dubuque, the numbers there, and our numbers are preliminary because it's still, there's some flex, you know, early in the school year. But there's, we here, we're, it's looked like maybe it'd be a 10% increase, like 500. We have, I think, maybe 4,500 students, so um, 500 um, additional students. So that's really helpful for us. It's, it's, it's a lifeline in some ways, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, the challenge for us is to, um, so we, you know, we have older facilities and, and, we, and, we, and we pay our teachers less and we don't have all the glitzy, you know, glitzy kinds of things. And so, um, and so you know, um, because while we can, all we, the only income is parish subsidies and tuition. And so some families, you know, it's a struggle to pay thousands of dollars. And, and, and teachers, you lose them. They love teaching there, but they can't make a go of it. Or they have to have a spouse who has health insurance or something, has a good job. So, so with this, we can um, pay our teachers better. Um, reduce the subsidies. Some, par- some parishes pay over 50% of the money to get, that's a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you can't do, it just impact what, what else you can do. Reduce tuition. I mean, we already, the lower income folks with the STOs, the tax credit thing, they were being helped with that. And then there's scholarships in schools and higher income, they don't have to worry about it. But middle income are really struggling sometimes, especially if they have more than one child in a, in a Catholic school. So hopefully with this, we can um, you know, free up some money to, 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 to pay teachers better. And also people, we get criticized sometimes about, you know, what about special needs students? And you know, we actually do take as many as we can, but, but, when, but it becomes expensive though, right? To, to take care of those needs. So hopefully we can, that we can um, take in more of those kinds of students and assist them. Talk a little bit about uh, your outreach in the community. Um, you have um, created a gender committee in Davenport. You've, you've tried to deal with LGBTQ issues right. head on. Um, why do you think 
it seems like you're also very interested in marginalized uh, sectors of society. I, I wanted to talk to you about ministering the inmates in Fort Madison, uh, helping undocumented uh, immigrants in Iowa City. Where does that come from for you? Well, I, a couple of things. One thing, pretty much my whole adult life, I've been feel like I've called to, to to minister to people on the margins. I could give you, you know, all these examples from back in the time I was in the seminary. Like I had a need. I don't know if you ever heard of Covenant House, and I was in um, New York City. It's for runaway kids, mm -hmm. um, homeless kids, and I heard I heard about it, and somebody gave gave a talk at Catholic University of America in Washington, where I was going to school, and I just I wanted to volunteer there that next summer. So I you know, got it all figured out with the diocese and found a place to stay and I volunteered and, um, and, you know, I, you know, so just over the years, I've been involved in all kinds of different outreaches to, to, to marginalized. And so that's just my history. But then Pope Francis, you know, is kind is really pushes that. He talks about the peripheries and, and, um, you know, um, you know, the smell of the sheep and, um, and, 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 and going to the peripheries and, and walking with folks there. And so, I, okay, yeah, I can, I, I, I agree, we need to do that more. So I, um, I I've, like when I was in terms of the prison ministry, I, my last two assignments in, in, in Dubuque were, were not in parishes. There's as, as a, um, uh, the Episcopal um, assistant to the, to the bishop in the Cedar Rapids area. Um, and then, and then I was the rector of the seminary connected with Loris College. So I, I was, I didn't have a weekend assignment. I saw a lot and stuff, but so I started, I started once a month going to the Anamosa State Penitentiary. There's mass there on Sunday morning and just, I like doing that. I, and so when I came here, there's actually four prisons in our diocese. There's Fort Madison. There's a minimum security in Mount Pleasant. There's Newton Correctional Facility. And then there's this Iowa, in Oakdale, kind of Iowa City area. There's this classification kind of place. Everybody goes there to, after they're sentenced, you know, to go to assign them to some, some prison. So I, 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 I've been going to each of those at least once a year to celebrate mass and hear confessions and just, you know, visit with the inmates. Um, so that's something that's, I don't know, like I could be in the office and doing the administrative stuff, but I'm, I was called to be a parish priest. That was my sense of calling when I was, when I was talking about back in, um, when I was practicing law. And, and so uh, I love to get out of the office and do pastoral things, I'll, I'll, you know, and I need to. I should be doing that anyway. So in terms of the gender um, committee, that, we, that I think was, it's, it was, 2021 that we started down that road and because we were getting questions from um, schools and parishes teachers and you know, staff people we don't know what to do we don't know what to do in these situations we don't know how to handle them and we need we need we need some advice and so we started think we we put together this committee and we're thinking about putting out a policy everybody's putting out policies and um, so we looked at some of those that other dioceses in those early days were putting out, and and then we realized we didn't know enough about about this whole issue. So we started reading things and reading things and talking to people who were working in, you know, in, in, in church settings with that population, 
and we and we decided, well, we don't know people, or at least, you know, I mean, probably did, but they weren't kind of um, out of the closet, maybe. And so, and those are back, it was a pandemic time, so we were doing Zoom things, but we started having Zoom meetings, people who were trans and people who were, well, mostly we're focusing on, um, on those, uh, um, that, the, the gender minority. And, um, and their family members, and we listened, uh, you know, about their experience and what their hopes for with the church, what the church would offer them. And they basically just wanted to be welcomed. They weren't, they, okay, we have our teachings and everything. They, nobody challenged us on, on that. They just wanted to be welcomed. So we read and read and read. We started talking, we talked to um, psychologists, people that, you know, work in that field, professionals, counselors, and finally, we're actually going to issue a our document, um, October 4th, the Feast of St. Francis. We have it um, ready to go. It's called Guidelines for Accompanying Sexual and Gender Minorities. Our approach will be different. You know, I mean, it, it, we're, we're not gonna, we're, we're comfortable in, be working in the gray. And you know, so there's the teachings of the church and we're gonna abide by those, but then there's also um, welcoming these people into our parishes and into our schools and things. And, and, and okay, there's going to be hard things we have to sort out, and so we're we're going to deal with them on a case by case basis, and um, rather than this really strong black and white, because we're all we're all trying to figure this out. So let's just, I mean, we can evolve with this thing, but let's just kind of take it where we are now, what we know, and 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 we about this this phenomenon, and and then we want them to feel welcome, and and yeah, we're going to have to do some you know, pronouns and names and bathrooms and sports and dress and all that stuff. But we're going to deal with it on a case-by-case -case basis rather than this black and white kind of a thing. Archbishop-elect Thomas Zinkula. The installation ceremony will be held in Dubuque October 18th. Well, we're heading into the month of October with some great ideas if you want to go out and about. Here's Laura Adams. This is Out and About for October 9th through 15th. Check out the Alito Fall Fest and Mercer County's Ride 17 Music Festival on the 14th. The Mississippi Valley Fairgrounds hosts Scott County Sheriff's Reserve and 97X Car Show on the 14th. Help support Friendly House at their Hogtoberfest fundraiser at the River Center on the 12th, while Empower House hosts their Spooktacular 5K and Fall Festival fundraiser on the 14th. The Hallberg Mansion presents Oktoberfest QC on the 14th until 9, and Walk for Wishes, Illinois, presented by Make-A-Wish, takes place at Murphy's Park in East Moline on the 15th from 11 to 1. The Freight House becomes the Fright House after dark every Friday in October from 6 to 9. On stage, Ballet Quad Cities present ghost stories at the Spotlight Theater on the 13th and 14th at 7.30. Playcrafters Barn Theater presents Skeleton Crew through the 15th, rated R. Dracula takes over the Bruner Theater at Augustana October 12th through 15th. And there's plenty of music with the pork tornadoes at the Rust Belt on the 14th, while Iowa Blues Hall of Famer Kevin Burt performs in the Redstone Rune at Common Chord on the 11th. Thursday Night Groove finishes their season at Schwebert Park on the 12th, and GIT Improv brings the funny to the Black Box Theater on the 14th at 7.30. For more information, visit wqpt.org. Thank you, Laura. On the air, on the radio, on the web, on your mobile device, and streaming on your computer, thanks for taking some time to join us as we talk about the issues on the cities.
Presley and Van Ho Funeral Homes have been serving Quad City families and veterans for over 100 years. Whelan Presley is located in Rock Island, Milan, Reynolds, and Van Ho in East Moline, proudly supporting WQPT. Alternatives is a proud supporter of WQPT and has been serving our community for 40 years. Alternatives provides professional guidance to maintain independence and quality of life for older adults and adults with disabilities.